0: We are working through the Beatitudes as part of our series on the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes, or the blessings, are the description of life that happens when it is shaped and transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. They are the kingdom qualities that envelop a community, a relationship, a person. When we step into the reality of life as God intended, And today, we'll be focusing on the fifth beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, a quick definition of mercy as we get started. Mercy is compassion for people in need. John Stott distinguishes mercy from grace like this. Mercy is the movement of love when one sees another suffering from misery, pain, or injustice while grace is the movement of love that restores and forgives. So mercy is compassion that sees and recognizes someone's misery, their suffering, and tries to do something about it. So in the parable of the Good Samaritan, the true neighbor is described as the one who had mercy. So blessed are the merciful, those who have compassion for another's pain, suffering misery for they will be shown mercy now sometimes when we study scripture in smaller pieces we can miss the contextual flow within which something is said and this is particularly true with the beatitudes which we often mistake as a list of standalone declarations but there is a reason why jesus orders the beatitudes the way he does For their progression is integral to their meaning. For up to now, the Beatitudes have been about how our emptiness, the poverty of the spirit, the emotional valley of mourning, the perceived weakness of being meek, hunger and thirsting for justice. That these experiences of the void, the lack, is in fact an opportunity for God's grace. And now, starting with this fifth blessing, Jesus now begins to describe the quality of life that is filled with this divine grace. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. If you keep this progression in mind from emptiness, then fullness, the Beatitudes are quite impossible to misunderstand. Because we who have been graced by God in our emptiness, like a stream connected to a river, cannot help but flow that grace into spaces we inhabit by being merciful, by being pure, by being peacemakers. But if you somehow forget that we start with the emptiness, that we start with being graced, then we are bound to introduce all sorts of problems into our spirituality as we anxiously try to earn God's approval. It becomes precisely the miserable legalism that Jesus is preaching against. Our showing mercy to others is the necessary outflow of those who have been mercy filled. The mercy filled are necessarily merciful unto others. In other words, what Jesus is saying is having been thus shown mercy in our misery, blessed are the merciful, for in their lives will be revealed the reality of God's mercy. That this is the order and the direction of the flow of mercy is plain when we read the Beatitudes in context. The discomfort we feel with this teaching then. Comes not so much from any confusion on Jesus's part about how the gospel of grace works, but rather in the closeness with which Jesus connects the mercy of God to our mercy showing, mercy giving unto others. But Jesus is consistent. Throughout his teachings, the mercy we receive from God is inextricably connected to our bestowing of that mercy unto others. It is the same discomfort we may feel in reading the parable of the ungrateful servant that Jesus would tell later on in Matthew chapter 18. Or when he says, forgive others their trespasses and you will be forgiven yours in chapter 6. In our Western linear thinking mindset, we say something like this, we love God, therefore we love others. The vertical love of God creates a horizontal love for our neighbors. Now, there is nothing wrong with that statement in itself. In fact, I actually just argue for it. The problem is when we think of them as two separate steps rather than as two parts of a whole. It sets up as a possibility, a spirituality where one can love God, but be stingy in our mercy to others. The first step of justification we consider mandatory. The second step, not so much. You really don't need for me to tell you that this happens in people, in us. This disconnect is all too common. So it is, with a scant ten words of this beatitude, Jesus reveals how misconceived this is. The fruit is impossible to separate from the root. Our trust in the mercy of God is not displayed through statements or declarations or labeling ourselves in a certain way. Rather, it is lived out in our mercy toward others. If we have not experienced the mercy of God, we cannot be faulted for not showing mercy. But if we have experienced God's mercy, and forgive the double negative, we cannot not show mercy unto others. We cannot not seek to serve those who are in misery, pain, suffering from injustice. In teaching this, Jesus was hardly being original nor do I think that was his intent. Rather, he was explicating what has always been true of God and how he has approached us, his people. Rabbi Akiva, who lived in the first century commented in the Talmud, what matters most to God? Love your neighbor, he says. This is the major principle of the Torah. Why? Because the love of one's neighbor is seen as the measure of one's love of God. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes as cheap grace, where God's love is not lived, but it remains at the level of doctrine a principle, an idea. Such an affirmation, says Bonhoeffer, invites the assumption that since the whole world is justified by grace, Christians should live like the rest of the world. But when we begin to understand ourselves as both recipients and conduits of God's divine mercy our lives as the means by which Christ extends his mercy unto the world, it cannot but change our very being. We become the contrast society of grace and mercy. We become the city on a hill, the light of the world that declares the reality of God's goodness to a watching waiting world. Blessed are the merciful, for we will shine God's mercy unto the world. Praise be to God. Now, two things this beatitude teaches me about the practice of mercy in the kingdom. First, we need to remember that mercy flows from remembering our own misery. Mercy flows from remembering our own misery. Some years ago, I broke my collarbone rather spectacularly in a mountain biking accident. It was my first and hopefully my last ambulance ride at least for a long while. When I was rolled into the emergency room, I was greeted by a very kind faced young nurse, but when she saw the severity of the damage to my shoulder, she couldn't help but physically cringe, not just a facial cringe, but like a whole body cringe thing, which doesn't help make anyone feel better. And things actually went downhill from there as she rather clumsily placed my arm in what I would learn later as the wrong type of sling. I experienced new levels of pain that evening as next came the doctor who kept on saying, this is gonna hurt right before proving his statement true. And then the x-ray tech who kept missing the collarbone and had me come back for multiple retakes. So it was when the shift change came and brought my new nurse, a very large dude who looked like he came out of central casting as an extra in a biker bar with hands built for working heavy machinery oil rigs, maybe. I was resigned to my misery as I try to convince myself pain is just weakness leaving the body. But this new nurse, he took one look at me and he says to me, let me put you in a new sling and very gently, tenderly, skillfully proceeded to actually make me feel comfortable for the first time in hours. And seeing my face relax finally, he flashed a smile and said to me as he pointed to his shoulder, bro, broke my collarbone last year. There is a connection between our ability to extend comfort with our own experience and memory of receiving comfort in our misery. Mercy flows from remembering our own misery. We are, as Henry Nouwen reminds us, All wounded healers Our stories of pain, failure, emptiness can be a source of mercy and comfort and healing for others. We look to our wounds and remember not only that God provides mercy and healing, but to grow and to learn in our empathy from our experience of suffering. This nurse knew what I was going through and what would give me comfort because he remembered his pain. So it is in other areas of life, those of us who have experienced infertility and child loss and somehow stand on the other side of healing, however you land there, can remember the depths of grief and self-doubting that are distinct to that experience. And then we can bring empathy and comfort to others who are still in the valley, who often feel like there are no safe spaces to go to. Those of us who have experienced the pain of discrimination, I shared with our learning group on race and justice that I'm leading, that it can actually feel painful for me to share about my experiences of racism and most people of color I know would say the same. But I know of no other way to lean into the mercy of God as we invite others to find healing in and through courageous conversations. Our experiences of pain can be a source of healing and reconciliation for others So if you want to do better in mercy, I'd say remember your stories of pain, grow your empathy, and seek to comfort others who are struggling. Second, we need to foster an attitude of compassion. We are called to be people drawn drawn into spaces of misery, longing to show mercy. Our Christian story is full of them. St. Basil was drawn to care for the sick and the dying and established some of the first hospitals of the Western world. Francis of Assisi is legendary for his ministry of mercy to the poor and the destitute and is still inspiring people hundreds of years later that even the Pope took on his name to be an inspiration for our times that can be so callous to the needs and the destitution of others. In one of our sacred suppers, I loved learning about the story of Pandita Ramabai, who from her own story of loss established centers of widows and orphans throughout India, an Anglican, Anglican saint. And more recently in our country, stories of men like John Lewis and Brian Stevenson, who stepped into spaces of deep injustice because they believe in mercy and justice so that they can bring God's mercy. This is our legacy of saints who seeing the misery of others and their suffering and pain and or misery were moved in their hearts to do something about it. That's our legacy. But if we're truly being honest here, our Christian story is also of how we have at times limited who we think of as our neighbors and famously withheld mercy from them. Like the teacher of the law who tested Jesus in Luke 10 in the prologue to the Good Samaritan story, we too are prone to ask, who is my neighbor? Which is actually a nice way of asking, who isn't my neighbor? Who do I not have to think about showing mercy? To which Jesus gives specifically a boundary crossing story of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus is telling us if we want to be about mercy in the way that God is about mercy, we need to break down these mental social, and even physical barriers. Stop labeling people and see them as who they are, God's children, image bearers, all of us. So where are your barriers? How are you being called to step across and step beyond your comfort and be merciful in this season? Where are your barriers? You know, there's been a lot said in the recent years, maybe even months about the church having lost our witness, our credibility. Whether you think that is warranted or not warranted, that's not my point right now. I think we would all agree, however, to the degradation that this has happened. You know what I think will turn the tide? You know what I know for sure will turn the tide? Living out this mercy. Extending God's mercy unto others. Imagine the church. Imagine our church. Where our mercy, our compassion, our willingness to be honest about our brokenness so that we can break down walls to serve our neighborhoods, our city, our country, our piece of the world. I really believe that God is inviting Holy Trinity to live into that reality. And I really believe that will turn the tide. What part is God calling you now to play in that mercy giving. Amen.